we just thank you for opportunity as men to gather around your word. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit inspiring James to write this wonderful letter. God, we pray that we would hear your heart for us as men. Thank you, Lord, for technology, that as we're becoming more and more mobile in the world because of technology, we're able to use it and stay connected. God, I pray for every person in this room and every person scattered off across the conference land in other parts of Texas and even the country, Lord, that you would bless them and give us grace to hear what you'd have us to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's my honor and privilege to present to you Jeff Ferris. He and his wife, Sean, have been members of Generations Church since 95. 19 years ago. However yeah, 19 years out. ago, since 1994. They've served here in various capacities. The one thing they did the most for the most years, the hardest work, they ministered here as youth pastors back when uh, my kids were in the youth group. And so I really appreciate Sean and Jeff. They have a dog that they named after our daughter. <laughs> we got a dog, and we were tempted to return the favor, but we we didn't yield to our flesh. Uh, we just received the honor that was expressed in the naming of their dog. And uh, anyway, so Jeff is going to come and bring us a word from the book of James. So, Jeff, it's all yours, brother. All right, thank you. So we did name our dog after your daughter, Summer Joy. When we got her, she's uh, 11 now, I think. So we went and got her, and she's a little puppy. You know, which one are we going to get so we get her, and what are we going to name her? Well, she's a girl, so who's the best girl we know? And it was a no-brainer. It was Summer Joy. So we were just thrilled and came up here and told her, and she's like, what? You named your dog after me? <laughs> so years pass, and we get a new boat, and uh, you got to name your boat. So we're like, we go out in the summer. We have so much joy on it. We're going to name our boat Summer's. Joy, nothing to do with your daughter. <laughs> so the first time they're going to go out on the boat, they're on the dock, and I pull up in my boat, and she looks at it and said, you named your boat after me, too? <laughs> like, no, no. But uh, anyway, it's it's an honor to stand before anybody and confess your faith and get to share the word with people. So I'm I'm excited about getting to do it. And it's very appropriate that I get to teach tonight because it's own humility. And last year I was the most humblest man award winner in Dallas Fort Worth. I would have won the year before, but the guy cheated. So, of course, that's made that up. But um, we are studying studying in James, and I think this is our third Wednesday. And uh, Vince did a great job teaching last week. And if you weren't here, we'll get the notes or. Uh, I'm sure it's recorded and you can listen to it. It was it was just excellent. But both uh, Vince and Alan the week before gave the history, a little bit of history about the book. And, of course, it's believed by most people that the book of James was written by Jesus' half-brother, James. And uh, in chapter 1, it says, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nation's greetings. And I thought that was, I picked up when I read that in preparing for this lesson that he referred to himself as a servant. And clearly, to uh, one of the characteristics of being humble is to having a servant's heart. So James considered himself a servant. And today, or tonight, we're going to talk, focus on uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Uh, does anybody have that and want to read that? 
out loud? JP, you have that? I got the, uh, had to go to the kids' church and steal their Bible. So okay, great. Different, uh, kids' version. Yes. Appropriate. Humble believers should be proud because being humble makes them important. Rich people, rich believers should be proud because being rich should make them humble. Rich people will wither like flowers. And uh, Living Translation is pretty close to that. It said, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flowers, dro- little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. I mean... A, a rich Christian, a, a, a true practicing Christian that is rich, they're, it's so, it's so, you're so blessed to be around people like that. And you can define rich in a lot of ways, but I'm referencing people that the world would actually consider rich based on their things that they own and the lifestyle that they live. But being Christians... Uh, those are the most generous people. Um, they do so much for people that a lot of people don't even know. And I'm always so inspired by people that, of wealth that use what God's blessed them with to return it to the kingdom. It's just it's, it's just a joy to be around people like that. And I know several people like that. And I also know several people that are very, very wealthy, and they're as far from that. As, as they could possibly be. And I think James in this verse is talking about, and he uses the example of how rain comes, flowers bloom immediately, but then life comes along and robs them of it. And so with that, I'm going to kind of focus not so much on riches and uh, lack of riches, but just on the topic, humility, and I'm counting on you guys responding to questions that I ask, or this is going to be really, really short. And my wife's already upset with me. She's teaching the women's class tonight. And when I went by there, she said, I've got an hour and a half's worth of material. I said, well, I've got about 15 minutes if they don't talk. So, so with that, I'm expecting you to talk. Uh, so when you think about humility, what comes to mind? And I'll call on you, you know I will, if I know you. What's your name so I can call on you in a little bit? No, I won't do that since I don't know you. But I haven't met you. I'm Jeff. I'm Ethan. Ethan, nice to meet you. So, Gary, what do you think about when you, the word humility comes to mind? Um, esteeming people higher than yourself. Good. Anybody else? Humility is the opposite of pride, according to Scripture. So... I've got some, you know, and actually, uh, Gary, both of you have defined it, but if you look at James, maybe turn to James 4, 6 is one, and the Greek word there refers to, it it uses the word humility, it's defined as low or lowly. Do you have James 4, 6? Who, me? Anybody? Yeah. But he gives a four six. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud. That's where I got that. But gives grace to the humble. 
Right. So that Greek word there, there for proud means low or lowly. And then Matthew 18:14, we don't have to turn there, but the Greek word there for humble is to make low. Uh, the Greek word for humble in Philippians 2:8 is to make oneself low. Colossians 2:18, uh, that word is lowliness of mind. So clearly, there's lots of examples of how that word is used to, as Gary said in so many words, to not think more of yourself uh, than you should. C.S. Lewis' definition of uh, humility is uh, it wasn't, humility is not to, let me read it here for us. Get off track here. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. Well said. So what does it mean to be humble? Well, we said low, lowly, to make low, to make oneself low. Um, the quality or condition of being humble, modest opinion or estimates of one's own importance or rank. I was um, at a conference recently, and I heard a guy speak. His name was Jim Collins. I don't know if you've heard him. He's a... Well, well-known Arthur. He wrote, one of his most com, uh, well-known books is uh, From Good to Great, and so he's been a lifetime uh, researching and writing about what makes certain companies great. Um, and so, as he spoke, he asked the question, or, or he made the comment that, in going around and seeing all these great companies, GE and uh, IBM, every Fortune 50 company he's talked to or wrote about. And uh, now, once a month, he goes to the Air Force Academy and speaks to the recruits, or, or to the cadets about leadership. But he said, you know, of course, you already know what the answer is going to be, but in, see, he wasn't teaching on this subject. He was just Speaking. And so he said, you know what the one common trait is of all the great leaders that I've met over the past 40 years? And he asked for people from the audience to respond. And, well, they were extremely intelligent. He said, that's not it. And so they listed all these traits. And he said, nope, the thing that was the common thread between all the great leaders of all the companies that succeeded long term was humility which in a non-Christian setting, this is just a business setting, I was just floored that that was the characteristic that was identified by this very, very well-known man. Maybe a little off track, but not really. So later I was in a roundtable discussion. There were people from the industry, about 15 people, and Hillary Clinton was there, so she spoke as well. So in the roundtable discussion, he would ask questions, and, and you'd break up in groups and discuss them so at the very end he said well I got just a few minutes for questions and uh, so the several questions were asked and then there was a lull and he said I have time for one more so I raised my hand he called me I said so you said humility was the trait of the greatest leaders that you had worked with or researched how do you teach people to be humble that are not and he paused for a second. He said, that's impossible to do. 
And he went on to follow, he followed that up by saying that um, life humbles you or defeats you, one of the two. Uh, and that, and that's very true. You know, and if you think about Jim Collins and his comment or observation that all great leaders are humble, thinking about that and then turning toward the Old Testament, who would you say was the greatest leader listed in the Old Testament? Um, Moses said he was the most humble, so... That is exactly right. <laughs> Numbers 12.3 said, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And he wrote that. <laughs> there you go. And if you think, but, but if you think about Moses, what was his greatest accomplishment? As a leader, I mean, he led he led a nation of what a million people, some people, in his eighties, and he was a poor speaker, and he didn't want to do it, but he did submit to God's authority, and the fact that he clearly was a humble man, um, because of his constant need to have to rely upon God to help him through this. He wasn't perfect, but I believe you know, he was humble, and that is a characteristic or a definition of humble is to see yourself as lower than other people. He was constantly having to deal with stuff that relied on There's no food, and yes, Oh, just especially coming from his position in the Prince of Egypt right. and going to be like a shepherd for a little while. Yeah. You know, that kind of shows you that he kind of chose to step down right. into that position. And, I mean, you know, it takes humility to do that. And clearly he misstepped a number of times. I mean, he'd get angry. I mean, he, he made mistakes. But I think the fact that he was humble enough or he would submit to God's authority, I mean, can you imagine how much faith it would require, how much submission it would take to God to stand up in front of people and say, okay, there's food coming, I know you're hungry, and then wait for God to rain down bread out of heaven or for quail to just come in masses for people to be eat or eat. Or to, while he didn't speak to the rock one time, he hit it, but to go up to it and actually take action for water to come out of a rock to fill a nation uh, give a nation of people something to drink. I mean, clearly that's an example of humility uh, in action. And what about someone in the Old Testament who was not humble? What does Exodus 10.3 say? Anybody have Exodus 10.3? and let my people go, and eventually he did. But what 
did his stiff-neckedness or his lack of his pride, what did that cost Pharaoh? What did his pride cost him? Eventually, cost his life. All the riches of the country. Well, yeah, I mean, if you go through it, if, if the first day they went to Moses, I mean, to Pharaoh and said, God said to let my people go, if he had said, okay, they can go, then he would have not lost all his cattle, his rivers would not have been ruined, his army would not have been destroyed in a war, the firstborn would not have been lost. I mean, I mean, that, yeah, the crops were destroyed. That's a really good example of how being prideful and God asking someone over and over again to do something, and it's not until they just get to the end of themselves that they do it. And in his case, he turned around and reverted back to being prideful. Then in Deuteronomy 8, 2, I'll read this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. I mean, God knew that in order for his people to take the land that he had promised them, they had to be humble. They had to be willing to follow his direction. They had to have enough trust in him and had to esteem him high enough that when he ordered them to march around a city and shout that they would do it. Not, There's no way they could have believed that that's what's going to happen. All we have to do is shout and the walls will fall down. Over and over again uh, they proved that they held God in high esteem. Again, they weren't perfect. But all good examples of having humility or the lack of humility, what, what that costs you. You think I read read somewhere where uh, humility introduced itself as, "Hi, I'm humility, and I'm here to teach you." Like that's so true. <laughs> but you know, when we, if you try to compare different the difference between pride and humility, sometimes you can look at. Let's let's do some examples, and I'll see if you can uh, respond with what I want you to. So pride and humility, how would each one of those respond to others' success or others being honored? How would pride handle that? It would be jealous, jealous, right? How would humility handle it? Rejoice, good. Did you see my note? You haven't seen my note, sir. How would uh, pride handle being wronged? Right, not admitting that they were wrong. How would humility have it? They would admit that they were wrong. What about judging? How would pride handle judging? Would it be very judgmental? If if you're prideful, you'd be very judgmental, wouldn't you? And quick to judge, yep. And someone that was humble? Slow to judge? They would understand that they're no better than the other person. What about authority? How would pride address authority? Not submissive. It resist it. Combative. And humility would respect it. And all of those things are things we deal with in our life every day. In some cases, 
I mean, there's, I see it through the years with people that I've worked with or people that work for me, how someone's promoted and how the people that are humble are happy for them and the people that are prideful are jealous and bitter and angry and why not me and they're knocking on your door and they want to know, well, how come I didn't get that? And, you know, it's hard not to preach that and say, well, this is exactly why you didn't get it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, really. But um, it's going back to Jim Collins, you know, great leaders show humility. And I see that with a lot of people that work for me. I, I mean, it's one of the things I look for when I want to promote somebody is do they have a servant's heart? I mean, the people that want the title and they want the big money and they want the self-esteem, those are the ones that end up causing me the most trouble. But people that have a servant's heart, they they never let you down. I've never had one time when someone that worked for me had a, a servant's heart that I was disappointed in their efforts. Not perfect, but you knew their heart was always right and what they were doing. So let's identify pride. Let's talk about, we'll identify pride, have a few scriptures on the significance of humility and and then the benefits of it, and then a warning about it. So, the Bible defines humility as the opposite of pride, and let's turn to Proverbs and read a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 11, too. I guess if I told you the chapter, that would help. Joe, you have that, 11, too? I'm trying to get there, but it's slow. Okay. <laughs> you have it? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. It says, when pride comes, then comes shame. But uh, with the humble is wisdom. Okay. You know, the... There's a common title, and, and, if, and don't take this wrong if you have this title and you've had it, but that title, consultant. So we deal with consultants a lot in my business. We go out and consult, but I kind of that when I hear that word, I'm a consultant, I cringe a little bit because most consultants believe that they already know everything there is to know about something, and so they're not open to learning anything new, which in a way I get it. I mean, they're there. They're going to charge you $250 an hour, and they don't want to act like they don't know what they're talking about. I, I get that. But um, a lot of consultants that I work with are not teachable because they're experts. And I think that's a lot of what this is talking about. Um, when pride comes, in comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. People that are humble are teachable. They're willing to learn. They're open to new ideas. And we should keep that in mind that we've never arrived. We're never, uh, God's never want to leave us where we're at. He always wants to take us the next step in our life. And to do that, we have to be humble enough to listen to him. What about Proverbs 18.12? Whoever gets it, you have it back there. Before destruction, uh, uh, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. 
Mine says, before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. The problem with pride is that it keeps us focused on ourselves and instead of on God. And, uh, you know, I have a testimony in my life of how, um, you know, I... It's not worth going into details other than just say, you know, I became very prideful in the sense that I put myself and what I wanted above that of others in my life. I mean, I did. When I look back on it, I can just see the steps that I took and the things that I did, and it cost me a marriage. It cost me a relationship with my kids. And God's faithful to restore things when I humbled myself and repented and I knew I was forgiven by the blood of Christ, but when you're prideful, and when I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing, and I had a lot of friends come to me trying to correct me, and I would not receive it. I wouldn't. So I I, I can identify what so many of these scriptures that talk about what pride can cost you. Very painful lesson to learn sometimes. What about James? Um, well, let's don't go this there yet. Let's uh, talk, go to Philippians two three. It's got two three. Joe, you have that one. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. That I mean, that's not what the world teaches, right? What's the world's? What what would the worldly proverb be for that? Be first, right? When when this guy mentioned that all great leaders that he knew, was there any response? Well, people, I mean, it was, I kind of, I won't say it was a gasp, but it was like, you could tell people were surprised. Nobody would have guessed that. Nobody would have guessed it. Not in that group. I, I sure didn't think about it. In that setting, I thought there was. Did you define what they considered a great leader? Humility. Well, the fact that they led a company for a long period of time, and they were very successful, and one of the other traits was, a lot of leaders of other companies came out of that company. Yeah. I mean, if you think about who's some of, some of the most humble people that have influenced your life? Anybody? You start with Jesus. Okay. He had the perfect mix of humility with other characteristics. Right. And, and he was 100% servant, which you mentioned in the beginning. So right. That was a good, good connection there. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? I think we use, I think we, we miss understand the, the word humble. Humble doesn't mean you feel insignificant or you're small. As a matter of fact, it doesn't, you don't play less than in humility. Humble, for me, means you have confidence in God through you. So you, you know what I'm saying? It's, 
you're not a small or less significant. I've known a lot of people that were just really strong at what they do. They were great. And they knew they were great, but they still were, were humble. Right. And they operated in humility. But they were amazing. My, my, my father in the ministry, extremely confident and man of faith, you know, unwavering. Right. And he's extremely humble. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people, meekness and humility are often used interchangeably, yeah. and a lot of people think of meekness as um, something that's almost cowardly or beaten down or, you know, unworthiness. A lot of people associate meekness as unworthiness, someone who, uh, they're just really meek, they're just really quiet. And, uh, meekness is a trait that we're supposed to have, and that is not how Christ would want us to be is to feel with our heads down and I mean we're supposed to be like something or someone that other people want to aspire to be like not because of who we are but because of what we have in us they want what we have and that's why I think it's uh, the thing uh, characteristics that are negative characteristics that, that I see in people, and by that I mean we all have issues, but the one that I cannot deal with at all is arrogance. People that are arrogant, I cannot receive from them at all. It's just, I mean, and I, and I know that there are a plenty of arrogant people that have come into my life, and I could have learned something from them, but I really had trouble submitting to people that had characteristics like that. Anybody else? You know, one of the not to embarrass him, but when I talk to people about our church, like I've been going here 19 years. What do you like about that church? I like our pastor. He has such a servant's heart. I mean, clearly, with as the church grown, Pastor Allen has to delegate, or he wouldn't be able to do what he does. But when we first got the church started, I mean. There wasn't anything he didn't do. I mean, clean the restroom, mow the yard, change the light bulbs. I mean, he was, if someone's moving, he's there helping them move. And that's that's really what drew me the most of this church was that Pastor Allen had such a servant's heart. And you look around our church, and there's so many people that go here that emulate that. I think he, he draws those type of people here. So when that people ask about, oh, yeah, well, you'll love our pastor, he and his wife have a servant's heart. So that's kind of the identifying uh, pride, but let's talk about the significance of humility. Humility is one of the traits that God wants to see in his people. Um, look at Colossians 3.12. James, you want to read that? Colossians 3.12, you have that? Okay, someone else have 3.12? Alan, you have 3.12? Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. So the Bible equates humility with these other positive characteristics, such as doing 
good. Um, and I think doing good. Did you hear the about the old preacher that died and he went to heaven and he was surprised to see a taxi driver there that had more stars in his crown. And so he found an angel and said, what's up? I mean, here's this taxi driver and he has more stars in my crown and I preached all my life. I, I, this has got to be a mistake. So uh, the angel said, well, God doesn't ever make mistakes, but I'll go see if I can get an answer for you. So he came back in a little bit and said, um, it's not a mistake. Uh, God said to tell you that he rewards on results and that when you preached, your congregation fell asleep, but every single person that got in that taxi with this man stayed awake the entire time and prayed at the top of their lungs. <laughs> What about James uh, 3.13, talking about the significance of humility? So while you're turning there, just what we saw in Colossians 3.12, was to close ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And, you know, you can, I think in that case, humility is like the foundational characteristic that all those things are built on. Because I don't, you know, I we all have... The Bible says we all have pride. We all struggle with pride. Uh, but people that are really prideful, I don't see these other characteristics in them. I don't know people that, they're the most prideful person I know, but they're really, really kind. They're the most prideful person I know, but they're very, very compassionate. Not usually. So James 3.13? James, you have that one? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. So, the deeds are the fruits of our humility. Would you agree with that? By being humble and having a servant's heart, we're going to be out doing the Lord's work. And we saw that in Jesus' ministry over and over again how his servant's heart was portrayed. I mean, what are some of the things that showed Jesus' servant's heart? It's not a trick question. He washed his disciples' feet. He ate with them. dragged his society. Exactly. I mean, he didn't consider himself too good to go home and eat with the tax collectors. He didn't consider himself too good to allow the woman to wash his feet with her tears and anoint it with perfume. The fact that he associated with the Samaritan woman in Samaria and everyone else was like, you talk to them. Right. He was, after all, the son of God, and he could have done a lot of stuff that he didn't do because he was here for a purpose. And, you know... I'm thinking of in the garden when he said to, to God, not your will, but mine. Yeah. I don't know how you could serve any more than that because it's, it's the flesh part of him that right. want to do that. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, he allowed. I think that's what you're saying. He allowed himself to be crucified. You know, and I've watched people. Um, we, I, I consider myself a watcher. I just because I travel a lot, and I'll be in an airport or waiting on people, and I just like to watch people. And um, and when I travel with people that are quote successful, I'm always interested to see how they're going to handle people that are not at their level. By something as simple as um, someone from housekeeping coming into a room and they don't even acknowledge them, or uh, a doorman opening a door for you and they just walk right through and don't even recognize who they are. Um, I mean, but on the other hand, I see people that go out of their way to ask someone, how's your day going, or uh, just any little bitty action that would show in my mind that they esteem other people to be uh, higher than them, worthy of, of their attention and concern. And just if you don't do that, I encourage you to start doing that and watching. Because sometimes you can get maybe caught off a little bit on what someone's heart is like. By maybe they're a little gruff or... Maybe they frown all the time or something, but if you watch how they treat other people, that really shows where their heart is at. And uh, it's, I'm always moved by that when I see someone that uh, shows that they have humility. So by our deeds, uh, the benefits of being humble. Proverbs 22:4. you can define wealth but you know when the, and I I mean I struggle with pride and anybody I, I, I would encourage you if you think you've never struggled with pride or you don't have problem with pride I would encourage you to seek the Lord on that I mean it is it's hard to go with I mean you just go through you like to me pride is like I'm driving down the road and someone cuts me off and I get angry at them like how could you do that, do that to me I mean well <laughs> So I think there's all kinds of opportunities every day for us to, you know, give in to pride or not show humility. But one of the benefits of humility is wealth and honor and life. So if you're not where you want to be in those areas, then I would challenge you to check yourself about, well, am I being humble enough in how I go about living my life. You know, one of the big problems we had with pride, and I'm a money guy, so I have to relate that scripture because when we don't have our priorities with money, right? Like, for example, you asked a while ago, if somebody gets a promotion, how do you react to that? Well, a lot of times it's a money thing because 
in a, in a relationship with somebody, you're protecting your money. A lot of times you're going to make a prideful decision rather than put the other person first. And, and money is a real problem for people. We we don't like to we don't like to take risk with our money. We don't like to put other people ahead when it comes to right. it might cost us something. But here it says that if you did that, the result would be wealth. I mean, sometimes if you're humble, you might it might cost you something in the short term, but the long term, it's going to bring something back to you is what I'm trying to say. I agree. I mean, maybe to add on to that, that how people handle money is a good test of their character, but even more than money is how people handle power. Nothing corrupts like power. I mean, I've seen... Uh, True story, we have 550 people that work in our company now, and there's a group that don't have high-paying jobs. I mean, they do some pretty manual data entry stuff. I mean, we pay a fair price, but that's what the job pays. And uh, so we thought we would experiment with trying to break them up in groups and have a lead over three or four of them. No money. They didn't get a raise. It was just an opportunity for them to exhibit leadership skills. And it was unbelievable how someone is a, now, okay, you're now a leader over these three people. And they how some of them could not handle it. It would just corrupt them. They would become heavy-handed and demanding. And I just was, it was like a life lesson to see that happen. And then I read later, or someone told me that, that nothing shows a char- someone's character more than, power. So clearly that is a test for our humility as well. You get promoted or you get recognized or honored. You can become puffed up and esteem yourself to be higher than others. You didn't even have a flashlight. Or nothing. <laughs> didn't have a gun or a flashlight. Okay. <laughs> Probably a good reason. <laughs> but he was like actively being a jerk to people. It was amazing to me because he was the security guard. Nobody could go. You know, they had a display. Um, you know, some car. They're doing like a promotional thing and some race car thing. And this guy was up there. And you know, I guess his job is to keep kids from, you know going up on it. So I mean, he could be to just, it was amazing to me. And I, I said, dude, uh, you realize you're not a real cop. <laughs> oh, yeah. You popped his bob off, man. But I was saying that I, I, I was smiling when I said it. I wasn't being, trying to be mean, but I was trying to get the light up, you know, because it was, just, it was amazing to me how mean he was being to people. Well, the manager eventually made him made him leave. You know, uh, enough complaints. uh, I mean, you know what I'm saying? No flashlight, no no taser.
I mean, I, I think, I mean, humility is a great teacher. I mean, I think, again, going back to work references, I made a mistake over and over and over again. And every time I've done it, I was like, I'm never doing that again. Or you you see somebody and they got, wow, this person's got potential and they've got talent, but they're not doing good at what they're doing, you know. And then they'll come just like, I'm just not challenged. You know, if I had more response, you know, and I've fallen for that several times. And so you challenge them more. Maybe they even get a raise if they're good at negotiating. And same thing happens again. I mean, they just lack the humility of wanting to serve. It's all about wanting to be in charge. And uh, I mean, I, I I know sometimes in the church, I'm sure. I know I know for a fact, but I. I I've seen it happen, but I'm not to the extent I'm sure a pastor has how you get people that are upset because they're not being used in the church in a certain way. And But you have to judge what you see outwardly. Or do they really have a servant's heart? And if they don't, how can you give them more responsibility if they can't do the lesser things? So. Well, if you're a leader, you're a good leader, then you should instill the confidence in the people that you're leading to elevate them to the same level. Say that again. If you're a good leader, then you should delegate and instill uh, the same qualities in the people that you're leading where they will be elevated to the same level of being capable enough to be leaders themselves. You should, right. And I think... And that kind of goes along with uh, the old uh, thing that they always say, there's no I, there's no I in the word team. Right. And uh, I think a good delegator, a good a good leader is, you know, I was having this conversation with someone today, which just happened to be a housekeeper. I know all the names of all the housekeepers. I know the names of all the maintenance people in my, in my work. I, I try to do that. And uh, this housekeeper has a, a very domineering and dominant boss, and he doesn't know how to say, hey, could you do this for me? Instead, he says, go do that. Right. And there's a difference. Mm-hmm. And I said, if I, was, if I was your leader, and I said, now, you know, I have the authority to make you do it. Right. But I'm going to say, hey, I need you to go yeah. clean up this room, instead of saying, go do this right, right. now. And the person that I'm leading is going to be a lot more receptive and a lot more desiring to do what I ask her to do simply because I respected her enough to uh, give her uh, a respectful request to do a job. Right. I mean, I think your point's a good one. And you see people that are really good leaders, and this is kind of what you were saying, they don't even have to ask because people want to serve them. They have a servant's heart, and they want to... They want to serve you back. I've seen that a number of times. In Colossians 2, 16, 23, I think this is the last scripture we'll read. This is a warning. We've been talking about pride and humility. We talked about uh, the identification of pride, um, the significance of humility. We talked about the benefits of being humble. And we'll close with this last scripture and have a few questions after that about a warning. So Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Who has that? You have that back there? 
Yeah. So let no one judge you in the food or drink in regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are shadows of things to come, but in the substance of Christ. And let no one cheat you your, re- your reward, taking delight in false humility and works of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom, from whom all the body nourishes and knit together by joints and by ligaments, grows in the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, you do, do your subject, you subject yourself to regulation. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and the doctrines of the man. The man. These things indeed have the appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So, false humility, the warning there is about false humility, and the Bible points out that false humility focuses upon non-spiritual notions and unnecessary regulations that add no value to the relationship with God or with others. You see, I think it's talking about trying to go through the appearance of being religious because I prayed 10 hours a day or because I did this or I gave this much money here. I mean, it's not about, well, earlier we talked about deeds are important in the sense that your actions are a result of what's going on inside sometimes. But if if you're doing stuff just to get the attention of other men, I don't have the scripture in front of me, but the one where uh, the, the publican went out, out, went before the congregation and made a big deal with his prayers and all that he had done, and then the sinner stood in the back and said, God forgive me, a sinful, wretched man. Um, I, th- I think we have to be careful and not get caught up in being um, having false humility because you, you can get caught up in that without question. So let's close with some questions about how we can show humility in our own personal life. How can we show humility? Who's married in here? Okay, all but one. So how can we show humility to our wife? Uh, Jeff, I just got a text from someone that called in and said, can we please speak louder? Oh, okay. Ask your question again. How can we show humility to our wives as husbands? Out of love, sometimes we need to defer to them and not insist on, I don't know if I'm speaking loud enough or not, but sometimes guys insist on being right. Right. When out of love, we ought to just say, you know what? Um, I just am not going to pursue this anymore. I'm going to love my wife instead. That's a higher priority. Whether I'm right or not is not really important. 
So uh, that's good. And yeah, again, it's taken me 25 years to learn that. <laughs> I'm still learning that. Yeah. So when you think about Gary's original definition of uh, humble, which is uh, putting others above you, I mean, how can we put our wives above well, us? Well, this is a high priority. I think I think a key is to remember the wife is the most vulnerable of the two positions, right. I think. Uh, obviously, being a husband can be vulnerable, but I wouldn't want to be a wife. Um, and this woman has chosen that position in your life. That is an awesome thing. It is. It really yeah. is. It's humbling to think about it. Yep. Someone to go where you go and do what you do. And would entrust her destiny to, to me. Um, not her ultimate destiny, which is God, but a significant part of her earthly destiny depended on her husband. And uh, yeah. that's an awesome thing. And yeah. so I, I just think having a spirit of thankfulness about that can help. She doesn't owe me. Being appreciative to others, I mean, complimenting them, recognizing the things that they do and not taking it for granted, that's a great way to show humility in your marriage. Uh, you highly esteem them. I mean, it's when you, when you get really close to someone, you know all their bad habits, it's easy sometimes to be critical of them. Uh, and it's easy to not compliment them on things that they do over and over again. So... I think we're about out of time, aren't we? Oh, no? Not, okay. Let's, it, it's let's been, uh, see if these guys have something to share. I have something kind of profound to say. Okay, can you say it loud? Go ahead. Yeah. It, this is kind of profound to say about uh, uh, what you were just talking about, but being a good wife to your wife, if you can imagine. You're going to have to help me there. <laughs> well, I mean, you're not taking on that role, but... I mean, you need to go ahead and humble yourself to go ahead and help her out in her business. And uh, it's not that you're being a wife. Right. It's just that you're putting yourself on the same level as she is to the point that, uh, I mean, it's like uh, I heard that a uh, uh, man was, oh, I can't remember. She was taken from the side of man to be at his For equal in your relationship is helping me. Yeah, it's like walk a mile in their shoes. Right. Yeah, I like to, I like to be What there. was it? I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I think the way it was said to me is a uh, woman was not to be taken from man's head to lead him, was not taken from his back to to follow him, but was taken from his side to to be at his side. Right, right. Not from his foot to be under him. But that's just some proverb I've heard. Yeah. Hey, guys, any of you guys have any comments or questions or input out there in teleconference land? It's a great teaching, Jeff. I know it was. There was that humility. Yeah, I just busted a button, buddy. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I miss seeing you. So. Yeah, Send some rain this you. way. Amen. Well, I can close with a joke. You want to hear another joke? Okay, the lion woke up one morning and said, uh, thought to himself, you know, I, I'm the king of the jungle, and I'm just going to go out and make sure people know that. So he comes across a bear, and he said, who's the king of the jungle? 
And the bear said, well, everybody knows you're the king of the jungle. And he just roared really loud and, you know, sauntered off. And he comes up on a a, a giraffe. And he says, who's the king of the jungle? And the giraffe said, well, everybody knows you're the king of the jungle. And he just roars and saunters off. And he comes up on an elephant. And he said, who's the king of the jungle? And the elephant reached down with his trunk, grabbed him, threw him up against the trunk, picked him up again, pounded him in the ground, held him underwater till he almost drowned, and tossed him up on the bank. And the lion, after a little bit, got up and looked at him through bloodied eyes and said, well, just because you didn't know the answer, you didn't have to be so mean. <laughs> Would you like to hear some practical wisdom and life-changing truth penned by a brother who spent more time with Jesus Christ than any one of the original disciples? Come join us at Generations Church each week for a live men's Bible study as we learn from the book of James, featuring over a dozen different speakers sharing from their hearts personal illustrations and life-changing applications sure to revolutionize and renew the minds of everyone attending. If you can't make it here, you can still join us from anywhere in the world via telephone. For a live conference call that will include you in this biblical journey, simply call us at 712-432-1500. That number is 712-432-1500. At the prompt, dial 743-883 and then hit the pound sign. That code again is 743-883 and then hit the pound sign. And that will connect you to us each Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time right here at Generations Church of Granbury, Texas. God bless you. Come join the gang.